I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, work and study, the Awabakal and Waramai peoples. I would like to pay my respect to Elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Espresso Warriors Katara. Welcome back to the Yoa Wang Krim podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Krebit, and today I'm joined by Tori Berezowski. Tori, how are you? Hi, Izzy. I'm great. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we're exploring the CSI effect. Yeah. What is the CSI effect? The CSI effect is essentially a juror's misconception of what forensic science really is. So on TV, they portray forensic science as these really cool scientific possibilities, where in real life, you can't quite do all those things. And it sometimes misconstrues um, their, what they think forensic science actually is and could affect their decisions in court. Does the CSI effect encompass other TV shows or is it strictly just CSI? So it started with CSI uh, because that was when that hit, that was massive. It took over the TV industry. Um, I think at one point it was the most watched TV show in the US. Um, But it also now because of CSI, so many other shows have been made regarding investigatory processes and forensic science that it now encompasses all of those TV shows. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the CSI effect? So CSI was released in 2000 with many spin-offs. So you have like The Regular, New York, Miami, and then so many other non-CSI shows. Um, and then even now they're being created. Every time you turn on the TV, they're like, oh, this new investigatory show is being created. Um, in between 2002 and 2006, there were many journal articles and magazine articles were referencing what they called the CSI effect. And the reason for that was because, as I mentioned, CSI took the world by storm. It was so cool and everyone was like, wow, this stuff is real, as they thought. Um, and they started thinking that maybe it could affect what jur- the decisions that jurors make in court. Um, In 2006, that was when the first book was released on the CSI effect, Um, and this was around the time that they started doing a bunch of research studies surrounding jurors' perspectives. So looking at a group of jurors, half that watched CSI, half that didn't, giving them scenarios that you might see in court and seeing the answers that they would give assessing if CSI actually affected their um, decision-making in court. It's crazy to think that a TV show could have such an impact on so many people. Who does the CSI effect impact? So first and foremost, or the most obvious answer is jury members. Um, But the CSI effect has also shown to affect many different groups of people for different reasons. So aside from jurors, we're also looking at prosecutors. This is known as the weak prosecutor's effect in the literature. And this is when they compensate for an absence or weakness of forensic evidence. So they'll kind of change their approach to court if they don't have forensic science to support their their case. Um, It can affect students. And this is known as the educator's effect. 
um, and that's an attraction to careers in forensic science. That's definitely how I got into my field. Me as well. So <laughs> there you go. So it definitely works. <laughs> um, it can affect criminals. This is known as the police chief's effect. And this is an adoption of countermeasures to prevent detection through forensic evidence. So essentially criminals getting smarter as forensic science gets smarter. Um, and then lastly, it can affect victims of crime. And this is known as the victim's effect. Um, and this is when they expect forensic testing for all crimes that you wouldn't necessarily get forensic testing. Mm, that would be the most disappointing aspect. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's still obvious sexual assault cases that it has a clear forensic aspect to it that you would need to close the case. Um, but even break and enters or small time thefts, they would think that they would, oh, let's collect fingerprints, let's let's do all this forensic testing and you just, we don't have the resources to, to do that every time. Yeah. What was the show that inspired you? Honestly, CSI. <laughs> <laughs> I am a bit ashamed to say it now as like an informed forensic scientist. Um, but when I was in year nine, I was off school for two weeks and CSI always had marathons on. So what else was I going to watch? And I was like, this is cool. I want to do this. And then from that point on, I just took the relevant courses and enrolled in the relevant programs. And here I am that many years later. How good and how lucky that you're good at it as well. Have you ever heard of the Scully effect? No, I actually haven't. That's definitely how I got into criminology by yeah. watching the X-Files throughout year 12. Oh, what is, wait, what is the Scully effect? So the Scully effect is where women become more inclined to want to pursue jobs in criminal justice because of the representation of Scully in the X-Files. Oh, yeah. there you go. There, there you go. Go us. <laughs> Why is juror perception so important? Um, so according to New South Wales Communities and Justice, jury service plays an important role in our community system, jury, or in our justice system, sorry. Juries are used to ensure that legal verdicts are impartial and in line with community standards of behaviour. Serving as a juror is an interesting and rewarding experience which offers insight into the court process. Now, I took that directly from the New South Wales Community Justice website because it perfectly shows that they essentially, jury-led trials rely on a jury's decision to convict or not convict an offender. So, and they're used in all courts, so it's district all the way up to Supreme. Um, so if your jury members aren't well-informed or have misconceptions of what forensic science is, an offender's or innocent person's life could be on the line for that. And we, we put a huge, uh, like juror members have a huge role in our criminal justice system. And that could be a bit dangerous if they're not well-informed of the actualities of, or ca actual capabilities of forensic science. What affects juror perception? So in an ideal world, they would come in with no expectations. They would listen to the expert witnesses as they explain the scientific techniques and outcomes and make their decision from that. But because of TV and media, and I mean, find me a person who doesn't watch TV, you, we are consciously or, consciously or unconsciously um, affected by what we watch. So if you, like me, watch a ton of crime shows and was not educated in the field of forensic science, I may go into these trials and think, 
oh, well, they should have gotten fingerprints. If they don't have fingerprints, then he must be not guilty or whatever, right? Like they base their decisions off of maybe a lack of forensic science or because forensic science should be there because it's always there on TV and that would affect their decision and someone's life, essentially. What are the main types of dramatization of crime within the media? So you, we have like true crime, so 48 hour mystery, American justice, Dateline NBC, 60 minutes, etc., etc. Um, there's also so many Netflix documentaries. When I was looking into this topic, I just typed in crime and I swear like 60 of them came up with new ones being made all the time. So there's that kind. Um, and those ones, I wouldn't say they affect a juror's perception as much because they are based off of true stories and true accounts. Um, like even forensic files, they gloss over the forensic science and they don't go into like the nitty gritty of the process, but they are showing you real scientific techniques. Um, what isn't always real scientific techniques is crime fiction. And that's really where the CSI effect blossomed and became a thing. So there's some that have like a science focus. So your traditional CSIs, um, bones, numbers, there's ones that focus like in court. So law and order or bull is a more recent one. Um, and then there's ones that focus on the investigation process. And that could be NCIS, Law and Order SVU, Criminal Minds, The Closer, etc. Right? There's so many out there. Um, and they do focus on different aspects of the criminal justice system, but don't always portray it in a realistic way. I think kind of a major problem with the true crime documentaries that are becoming so popular on Netflix is the way that the crime is broken down into those episodes and then they try and bring in a suspect in each different episode. The crime wasn't perpetrated by a suspect, especially with the Hotel Cecil. Have you have you watched that? I'm actually not a big true crime person. I don't really Fun watch fact. crime documentaries, <laughs> which seems odd considering what I do, but I really, they're just not really my thing. But the reason they do that and what I would say anyways, is because they need that cool factor. They need to keep people watching. Exactly. So they have to make it a bit more exciting and a bit more... Um, um, kind of anticipation. Thank you. They need to keep the anticipation there. Um, otherwise, people won't watch it. Yep. They'll be bored. Which is a shame to the victim. What are the other issues in crime fiction? So I have a few that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, the first one is that the case is always solved in one hour. And that is absolutely not ever the case in real life. Um, I did a quick search um, and I found an article the other day that said in 2018, the New South Wales police reopened 500 unsolved homicide cases spanning over four decades. So from 40 years ago, they still have open cases which, I mean, definitely not solved in one hour. Um, and I mean, real, real cases can take weeks, months, years, decades. I mean, the Beaumont case is still open and exactly. that happened in the 60s. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, I should know that, but I can't think of it right now. <laughs> um, another one is that scientific techniques are exaggerated and often incorrect. And that goes back to the cool factor. So 
being a forensic anthropologist, I understand the, the science behind the show Bones. Um, and in almost every episode, there is something scientifically wrong with the techniques they are using. I love Bones, but I watch that show, I'm like, wrong. No, no, that's not right. Like, I just <laughs> critique it the whole time. Um, but for example, so a forensic anthropologist will look at one part of the bone and say, um, or the, the forensic anthropologist in the show will look at one bone and say, it's male because of that. When in reality, like on your skull, you should look at multiple traits because I, I know for sure that I have a more masculine jaw and I'm a female. So as a female, I could have many masculine traits and many men could have many feminine traits. So you can't just look at one and say, yes, this is this sex. You need to look at it all and make a informed decision. But that would be boring if you went through the process of actually doing a sex assessment of the skull. I mean, it, it could take maybe up to an hour and that would be boring to watch. That would be the whole hour of the show. So they have to exaggerate it or maybe make it a bit incorrect to keep viewers around. Um, they're also one of my favorite awful science moments is in CSI, I think it's New York, and they do something called corneal imaging. So cornea like on your eye, they have this, you can YouTube it, it's hilarious. They have this really awful grainy uh, CCTV footage and they magically make it better, which first of all, if you have crappy CCTV footage, it's always going to be crappy CCTV footage. Like you can only do so much to make it better. Um, but then what they do is they zoom in on the eye and they get a shadow of the person that's in front of them acting like it's um, like a, a window, like you could see someone's reflection mm. and then they identify the perpetrator. And it's so ridiculous. But I, you know, it's just one of those things, but again, a cool factor, right? Watching that, you're like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And one could think that that's true. It's absolutely not true. Corneal imaging is not real, um, but it's just, it's just so out of there and exaggerated and incorrect. Um, gosh, I could go on for hours about all this, but the next one is the investigation protocols are often incorrect. So TV makes it look really sexy to be on scene when in fact it's actually really hot, sweaty, and uncomfortable. Like on TV, you see females with like high heels, they have their hair down, they're in their fancy work suits. And honestly, in real life, like if I'm on scene and I'm excavating a grave, I'm in Tyvek, head to toe, glasses, mask, gloves, boot covers. Like you can't even see me, you don't know who I am. And it's hot and sweaty in there. Like it's not glamorous to be at a crime scene, but they make it look very glamorous. The other thing is that the first thing they do is move the body. They like walk in there, like, move the head. They're like, yep, got shot in the head. When you are absolutely not allowed to touch the body until the coroner is on scene. And usually it's only them that gets to touch the body. But for some reason they like to walk in there and move it. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> losing evidence. <laughs> um, the 
Timeline for turnaround of scientific evidence is also greatly exaggerated. So they'll do like a fingerprint collection, put it in the system, beep, boop, boop, we have a match when that could take days, weeks, months, a lot of time. Um, especially, this is really relevant in Australia right now, they have thousands of untested rape kits that haven't even been processed. But on TV, they would put that through and it would come out in five seconds, right? Um, you also have to think about the databases that certain police units have access to. So they would have access to their own jurisdiction, but maybe the person is countrywide or on the Interpol database where it's around the world, right? And you don't necessarily have immediate access to those where in TV shows, you just have access to every single human's fingerprint in the whole wide world. Um, and not having access to that or having to wait to get access can greatly increase the time it takes to process that type of evidence. And it's the same for um, blood, DNA, any, any sort of processing technique can take a lot of time and often does. Um, there's also some techniques like fingerprint comparisons have to be assessed by multiple people before they make a decision. So I know in, this is the way it works in Canada, not sure about here, but what would happen is you would, you may run it through a system and get um, maybe like 20 matches, 20 similar fingerprints. You would then have to go through each one individually with your eyes and match the friction ridges or like your fingerprints. You would then give that to another person and they would do the exact same thing. So two people go through this whole process that can take a whole day if you have a hundred fingerprints to go through. Um, whereas on TV, it's always one person who does it. And it's always the computer that's like, ding, 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 we have a match. Um, we can also talk about the fluidity of a television character's role versus that of someone in real life. So on TV, someone will do all of the roles. They'll come in, they'll talk to witnesses, they'll take statements, They'll process the crime scene, collect evidence, go back to the lab, analyze that evidence, and then go to court and solve the case. Where in real life, each one of those roles is taken over by, is done by a different person. So for example, evidence collection and analysis are, gener are two separate jobs. So there'll be someone on scene to collect the fingerprints, and then they bring it back to a lab to, for someone to analyze those fingerprints. And then no crime scene tech, unless they are a sworn police officer, will carry a gun. Everyone on TV carries a gun. Um, a lot of jobs, a lot of crime scene tech jobs now are being um, put out to civilians that aren't, so they're not sworn officers. You can't carry a gun if you're not a sworn officer. Um, and then you, as a crime scene tech, you also don't talk to witnesses or even arrest suspects like that's just not your job that's the police's job um so they wrongly portray the rules on tv as well um that sounds like a lot of hard work for one person right like imagine having to know all of the so the standard operating procedures of all of those roles and being trained in all of them yeah that would take years I, even being trained for one role takes years. So to be trained fully in all of those roles, it's just 
it's not feasible. Unrealistic. You'd be ready to retire and you would just finish your training. Um, and it's unrealistic, like you said, because it would make the investigation process longer. If one person had to do everything, mm -hmm. you'd have to wait for that one person to finish each of the jobs, whereas if you split it up, it kind of streamlines it and makes it a bit faster, which is good. Um, we There's a difference in the language that is used. So on TV, it's always, it's a match, where in reality, you don't actually ever want to use the word match. Um, even something that like DNA that people hold to a gold standard and they can say with great certainty that a DNA sample belongs to someone, it's still a ratio. So there's still the, the um, DNA person, the DNA expert will say there's a one in one billion chance that this DNA belongs to another person. That means that it's pretty likely that it does because I don't know, there's like seven billion people in the world. So that means only seven other people could have this same or similar DNA. Um, but again, they would never say it's a match because they don't know, they don't have the DNA of all people in the world. So even things like that gold standard, they do have to have that, that ratio. They have to give the error of it in court. Um, because if I tell you as a jury member, it's a match, that's going to affect your judgment of the case, you're going to think, oh, well, if the expert says it's a match, it must be a match and they could be wrong. And then that person could be convicted on a, on a wrong decision, essentially. Um, jurors expect there to be forensic evidence in every case. And I know I touched on this at the beginning, but this one's really, really important. Um, when I was doing a bit of research on this topic, I found an article that I think it was from a prosecutor that had been in in court and they heard a juror a juror member say um they heard the juror complain that the prosecution had not done a thorough job because they didn't even dust the lawn for fingerprints wow and if you think about the process of dusting a fingerprint you can't do it on a blade of grass <laughs> like it just and they probably didn't even sit to think about it you know they just are they see it on tv and they think well i can get Fingerprints off of yeah, anything. Yeah, just expected it. And it's just not possible. Mm. So um, they often expect there to be evidence or forensic evidence in every case. And there honestly rarely isn't. A lot of the time we still rely on witnesses and written testimony as opposed to actual forensic science. Tori, do you know that we're sponsored by Espresso Warriors Katara? No, I had no idea. What's your go-to coffee order? Ooh, my go-to coffee order would be an iced latte with oat milk. I highly recommend our sponsor at Espresso Warriors Katara. Evidently, the CSI effect has major issues. Why is it a problem? So in 2002, a Time Magazine article stated that a growing public expectation that police labs can do everything TV labs can. And this can result in the public questioning the ability and integrity of police forces. So if they think that our justice system can do everything that they can do on TV, they're going to be disappointed because we can't, um, and it will affect their their view on, on, on a case. 
um, and that's resulting in having real effects on our criminal justice system. So because they have these higher expectations of evidence, they often are expecting it or expecting it to have some amazing result. I mean, a lot of the time, collective fingerprints from a crime scene are inconclusive because it's not like a criminal is thinking, oh, I should make a really nice fingerprint on this knife, right? Like they're often partials or smudges that can't be matched in quotations. You can't see me, but I'm holding quotations. Um, and this can result in miscarriages of justice. And I mean, there are already so many out there that we don't need another reason to have more. What are the non-juror impacts of the CSI effect? So they're not, so these impacts are not all bad and they're not all on jury members. Um, legal actors such as uh, lawyers, so prosecution and defense and judges have now started to change their behavior to expect a juror member's expectations. Um, so there were a bunch of studies that were done, one particularly uh, surveyed prosecutor and defense lawyers um, that showed that 17% of these prosecutors adjusted their pretrial behavior and requested more forensic testing. So before they even went to court, they specifically asked for forensic testing because they knew their jury members would want it. 55% um, included juror questions on their TV viewing habits in voir dire. So before you're selected as a jury member, you go through voir dire to see if you're actually on the panel. Um, so they would include questions on like, have you watched CSI? And maybe if they had, they wouldn't want that jury member. So it would affect who they select. Um, and then 49% claimed to observe actual acquittals in cases where they thought there was sufficient sufficient circumstantial evidence to warrant a conviction. So unfortunately, um, like we can later get into if the CSI effect is actually real in the data. Um, but if you ask a lawyer, they will say yes, because they've seen it. Um, the data does not support it, so they don't show an increase in acquittals since CSI came out. But there are going to be um, probably a bunch of lawyers that would expect one decision and then the jury made another because of maybe a lack of evidence or a lack of a certain result that they were expecting. Another non-jury impact is the advancement of technology. So obviously we didn't advance our technology, our forensic science technology, because of TV. Um, they seem to coincide. Another non-jury impact would be on our technology. And the advancement of technology over the last century has been huge. We're able to do things now that we couldn't even dream of before. Um, and it's obviously not solely from CSI, like our, the increase in our forensic science technology is not because of CSI. Um, but it has definitely shaped ideas for real life crime scene processing and probably uh, tweaked the way that our technologies work. Is there a positive? Um, I feel like after hearing all that, you might say no. Um, but yeah, so studies have shown that there is a positive side to the CSI effect. A uh, particular one from the National Institute of Justice found that jurors who watched more CSI were more informed than their non-CSI watching counterparts. 
Um, so yes, they had higher expectations, but they actually understood the science better and were able to make a more informed decision when scientific evidence was present. Um, so for example, CSI watchers would expect DNA from violent crimes like murder and sexual assault, but not necessarily from a break and enter. For those crimes, they would expect fingerprint evidence, whereas someone who maybe doesn't watch CSI or any show like that might expect evidence everywhere all the time. Um, the worry was that jurors will demand to see scientific evidence before they find a defendant guilty. Um, but the survey done through the NIJ actually showed that their increased expectation of scientific evidence did not translate into a demand for this kind of evidence. So even though they watched it and they knew about it, it didn't necessarily translate in the data to needing it to make an informed decision. Um, the jurors were more likely to find the defendant guilty even without scientific evidence if the victim or other witnesses testified. Um, and you guys heard a couple weeks ago about the issues with eyewitness testimonies. So that on itself is another issue, but often jurors are more likely um, to find the defendant guilty when someone testifies. Um, interestingly, if the lawyers presented circumstantial evidence, the prospective jurors said they would demand some kind of scientific evidence before returning a guilty verdict. So sometimes they would, um, they would feel uncomfortable um, convicting someone on circumstantial evidence and would do it if they had actual scientific evidence. So that's good because you don't necessarily want to convict someone on circumstantial evidence. You'd rather be more sure. Um, on a personal note, actually, I use the CSI effect to my advantage sometimes. Um, when I tell people that I'm a forensic anthropologist, I usually get the look like, um, that sounds really cool, but I don't know what it is. And when I say, oh, do you know the show Bones? And they're like, yeah. I was like, I do that, but more realistic. So there are other positives, and I mean, mine's a personal one, but it has definitely worked to my advantage. And then it usually goes into the conversation of, oh, is it really as dramatic as it seems? Like, is it real? I'm like, no, it's not real at all. None of that is real. Um, so I do find actually that people are becoming more aware of the fact that it is fake which again is really good. So it's not affecting our juror's perception. Yeah, and it provides an opportunity for you to kind of clear up any of the gray areas there. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what else can be done? Um, so, I mean, ideally in the real, in a ideal world, um, we can give resources to, to police departments and laboratories for good scientific equipment. So we can decrease the backlog issues. So we don't have to wait so long for these scientific techniques um but i mean money's always an issue so it's not necessarily possible um but more importantly we can equip officers of the court such as judges and lawyers with more effective ways to address these juror expectations when scientific evidence is not relevant lawyers need to find a more convincing way to explain the lack of relevance of that evidence they need to explain to these jury members that this evidence isn't important for you to make a decision um Officers of the court should come prepared to deal with these jury expectations, as it is, in fact, their decision that decides the fate of criminals in our criminal justice system. Um, and I am confident in saying that I, I think lawyers do that now. They do, especially to ask in voir dire if they've watched it and ask if that would affect their decision. So they are more equipped in court with these jury members' expectations. Tori, 
Is the CSI effect real? So it depends on who you ask. If you talk to lawyers and judges, they'll probably be more inclined to say yes, because they anecdotally have seen it for themselves. And there are a few famous cases where the CSI effect definitely played up. Um, but research has shown no increase in acquittals. And that is awesome. I mean, obviously, we don't want a show like CSI being so in, like, not factual to affect our acquittals. Um, so research-wise, no, it's not real. Um, like I said, results of the CSI effect are mostly anecdotal. So maybe case-by-case -case situation or being um, a lawyer or a judge, you're more inclined to see it. Um, juror surveys have demonstrated that the differences in decision-making between CSI watchers and non-CSI watchers is marginal, if any, and then results of these surveys have shown an increase in expectation of forensic science and probably reflects a broader notion in society of an increased awareness of technological advancements rather than it being affected by watching CSI. And, and that's actually what we call the tech effect, not the CSI effect. So what you're saying there is that kind of hardcore watchers of CSI are more likely to have a certain perception of the courtroom and the forensic evidence gathering rather than individuals who don't watch it as regularly or at all. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent summation. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tori. <laughs> Tori, is there anything else you would like to add? Um, essentially, as a take-home message, um, just to be aware that the media plays a huge role in our society, and that's not just in the courtroom. Um, and it's important to be cognizant of good, reputable, and substantiated media especially as a jury member, especially when your decision can affect someone's life. So if you've been called for jury duty, please do not watch CSI before you go in. Yes, please be informed that that science is not real. <laughs> Tori, thank you so much. Thank you. Happy to be here. You've been listening to the Yorwen Crim podcast run by the University of Newcastle's Criminology and Criminal Justice Society, hosted by Isabella Krebert. A special thanks to this week's guest, Tori Berezowski, to Corey Di Pasquale for composing the podcast theme music, and to Tamika Hillebrand and Ryan Crew for their ongoing support. I'm your host, Isabella Krebert, and I'll be back with another season in semester two.